0: Father, we do thank you for that reckless love that you have bestowed upon us in your Son Jesus Christ that we even remember here at this table. But Father, it's also good for us to be reminded that the recklessness of your love is just from our perspective. Lord, from your perspective, it wasn't reckless at all, it made total sense. And ultimately, Lord, it makes total sense to us as well. It just seems reckless at the time. Father, would you enlighten us this morning with your word? Would you open up those dark places? Would you give us insights where we don't have them as yet? Lord, would you change us by the power of your word? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and redeemer And we give this time to you now. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the most famous quotes in all of uh, literature is from William Shakespeare. It's Hamlet when he's doing his soliloquy. And he begins with the words, to be or not to be. And when he asks that question, what he's talking about is whether or not he should go on living on this mortal coil. Is life worth living? Now, I am sure that in a group of this size, and certainly with those online, there have been people who have indeed asked that question, should I go on or not? But there's another question that we're going to be focusing on, that God's Word focuses on this morning that I wouldn't be surprised if every one of us at one time or another, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and desirous of being obedient to God's command, I would bet there is a, a command or a question that we have asked ourselves, and it's similar to be or not to be, only it has an O and a Y on either end of it. It is to obey or not to obey. To do things my way, or to do things God's way that would be the question that I know I've asked it and I don't I, I dare say I'm probably not the only one here in this room if you have your bibles turn to the book of Matthew chapter 2 we're going to pick up where we left off last week as we are doing this series that I've entitled, His Kingdom Come, and we're seeing the, the, uh, the incarnation, the coming of Jesus Christ into this world in the first couple of chapters. Today we are in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 1 as we continue this account of Jesus Christ from the pen of one of His apostles by the name of Matthew. If you have your notes, I encourage you to keep notes this morning. Uh, If you didn't get a note card at the door and you're here, go ahead and put your hand up and one of our ushers will get a note card to you. If you're joining with us online, the church app has all of the materials that we're talking about up here. The main characters in today's passage are a group of guys that are called the wise men or the magi. And I've wondered, you know, we look at this passage, and there's been a lot about the Magi out there, a lot of depictions of them. There's been movies made about them. There's been uh, uh, probably tons of sermons preached about them. But what do we really know about these wise men? Honestly, guys, biblically, there's not a whole lot. In fact, my experience is most of what we know about the wise men seems to come more from the Christmas carol we three kings of Orient are rather than from the pages of Scripture because there's just not a whole lot for us to gather from Scripture. Look at verse 1 of Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. All right, so these wise men arrived. Where are they from? It says right here, they're from the east, you say. <laughs> but where in the east? How far east? And here's a good question, how many of them were you? Were there? I know a lot of you would immediately say, oh, well, there were three of them, because that's what I've always seen, the three guys on the camels and all that. It doesn't say that there were three of them. It's, again, we don't know. It was thought, you know, that the conception of there being three of them is because they, three, they brought three gifts with them, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But as far as we know, there could have been 30 of them. We just know there were more than one because it is plural. The Bible doesn't tell us who they were, doesn't tell us where they came from, doesn't tell us how many of them came. Here we go. I wonder sometimes if we even know if they're wise. (laughs) The the original manuscripts are in those, they are called the magi. And the Greek word magos, is used to describe people who acted in very strange ways. People who were fascinated by astrology, they were often sorcerers, they cast spells and incantations, they dressed in often bizarre ways. The Latin word is magi, from which we get the word magician, and they, they can also be some strange people. Ever watched David Blaine or Chris Angel? They're, you know, kind of out there. So why doesn't Matthew tell us any of these details? Well, I think that these details were left out so that the focus would be on the most important part of this story, and that is in verse 2. They arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. I submit that that's the main point of this account here. We have come to worship him. These men, it's an amazing thing to consider that these particular guys came to worship a Jewish king. Why? Because from what we can see, they were probably pagans, Gentiles at the very least. But what are they doing? They are actively uh, practicing astrology That is a forbidden act. In fact, it was uh, uh, punishable by death in the Old Testament times. It's almost as we just sang that song. I'm almost thinking this is maybe another example of the reckless love of God. He's got these guys, you know, anything but good Jewish boys coming to worship the king. And I think it's a way for Matthew to say as he's writing to his Jewish audience, this king that you've been waiting for, he's going to be very different. He's going to be different in the way he's born. He's going to be different in the people that he attracts. And that's the challenge for us today. Are we going to be as wise as these wise men that we see this morning? Are we going to still be wise when we are faced as we see them this morning, faced with the choice to obey or not to obey God? Or man. Let's read the entire passage to get the context this morning. Starting again in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, verse 6, and you, he's quoting now from Micah 5, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for from you will come forth a ruler who who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star which had been seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11, and they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This morning, let's see what it is that makes these wise guys wise. And let's determine if wisdom is something that we have. I see there's probably more, but I see for our, our sakes this morning, there are at least three things that we can learn from them in terms of wisdom. And that, the first one is this, wise people still seek Him. It's possible that these wise men were descendants or at least influenced by the ten tribes of Israel. Uh, Many of those individuals, when they were taken captive into Babylon, stayed there during the time of Daniel. Many of the Jews didn't return to their homeland. They chose to remain behind. They were assimilated into the culture. There was a Jewish population in Babylon at that time. And naturally, they would have, as they were assimilating, they would have picked up the practices and the religions of these pagans. Now, these wise men were obviously influenced by these individuals, and they were not very, let's say, traditional in their faith. And still, though, even though they had all these other things against them, the sorcery and the incantations and the, the astrology, they were looking for the coming Messiah. They obviously took literally the, uh, the prophecy in Numbers 24, 17 that says a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And so they searched the skies Apparently, for over 600 years, they were looking for this. That's about when, when uh, Daniel was there. And they're looking for this sign that Messiah had come. And when they saw this sign, it's, it's translated here, a star, but it also could mean a light. And, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of debate you could have. What was this star? Was it, you know, some kind of a supernova? Was it, a, a, you know, an alignment of the planets? A, we, we don't know. It just says that they saw whatever it was they were looking for, and they came rejoicing to the one who was born king of the Jews. Now, as I said earlier, we don't know how far they traveled, but it's likely, based on how much time it took, that they came from hundreds of miles, maybe even a thousand miles away. Because they could have followed that star for up to two years because as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, Herod goes on a tirade and has all the children two and under killed based upon what the the timeline that the wise men had given him. So they're traveling for quite a while to get here. Plus, I don't know if you noticed as we read it, but Jesus is no longer in the manger. Sorry, the manger scenes are not true if you got wise men in them. That's why quite often at Christmas time when we set up our manger scene, we put the wise men over there and they get closer every week. <laughs> okay? they, they, don't, they, don't end, they, they don't end up there. In fact, they're not even coming to the manger. If you read the account, number one, Jesus is a child. He's no longer a baby and he's in a house by that time. These guys may have been pagans, but let's give them some credit. They really wanted to come and worship Jesus. They were seriously serious about finding him. I mean, when was the last time you took two years off to to just go on a trip and, and seek out something like this? Contrast them now with what we see happening with the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They apparently were not the least bit interested and didn't seem to really even care about the star. What did we see as we read that passage? They knew all about the coming Messiah. So much so that they were able to answer Herod's question. What does it say here in verse 5? They said to Herod, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. But I submit to you that it probably doesn't seem to be all that meaningful to them. Because while these Wise men had been traveling possibly for up to two years, for hundreds of miles. These guys, apparently, we don't have any account of them traveling the five or six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to check out what was happening. Now, even if they didn't know about the star, you've got this guy here, these, these guys saying, there's a new king, the Messiah is coming. They, they, they heard all of that, and yet they don't bother, apparently, to check it out. What an example of people who know all the right things, but they're not really willing to make the effort to see if they knew, if what they knew, if the things that they, the, the prophecies that they were well-versed in, if those things were true. And remember... Matthew is writing this gospel, and he's writing it to an audience of Jewish people in the Middle East, some who are living far away from Israel, and I believe part of his reasoning here is to convince them that Jesus, number one, is the Christ who is prophesied in the Old Testament, that's why he makes so many references as we're going to see, as we've already seen, and we're going to continue to see he makes so many references to old, the Old Testament prophecy, and yet what he's saying here to his Jewish brothers and sisters is that they should be like these pagan sinful magi. They should be seeking Jesus. And they should not be like the Jewish religious leaders who don't seem to care. Interesting thing that he's sharing with them here. And that's because like these wise men, wise people still seek Jesus. They check Him out. They do whatever it takes to convince themselves that Jesus really was and is the king of the Jews. So what about you this morning? What about us? These men, I think at the very least, teach us that, that perfect theology is not required to come to the conclusion that Jesus is God's son who has come to earth. Sometimes we, you know, and, I, and I'm really big on theology and I'm big on knowing the word. But, you know, how much do you really know when you come to Christ? In fact, that was the thing that held me back from coming to Christ for quite a while. For weeks and months, I, I felt like I didn't really know enough to make an educated decision. And for during that time, I wasn't taking advantage of it. I think it would have been better just to say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this, and I'll, I'll figure it all out later. And ultimately, that's what I had to do because there's only so much you can know from the outside. You, know, most, you, you gain most of what you gain once you have the Holy Spirit within you who is guiding you and speaking to you. John himself wrote in John 1.11, Jesus came to his own and his own people didn't accept him. Literally what he's saying here is that Jesus came into this world, a world that he specifically and specially prepared for himself. He came into this world that as we see in Genesis, a world he created. He walked into this land that he made and the very people, his chosen people, his special people, they rejected him. But he didn't stop there and give up. And boy, we're, we're all the better for that, right? He didn't say, all right, well, if you won't accept me, he didn't do what I would do. I mean, <laughs> he didn't say, if, if you won't accept me, then fine. You know, figure it out on your own. I'm out of here. No. John says that he came to his own and his own people didn't accept him. But he doesn't stop there. But as many as received him To them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe on his name. Even practicing pagan Gentiles, practiced in, 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 uh, in performing sinful acts of astrology and incantations and other things. I wonder this morning, are you seeking for something to draw you close to God today? There's a reason you're doing that if you are. It's because the Bible says that we are separated from him. That's where we all start out. That's the default position in computer language. The default is I am sinful and I am separated from God. It's as if I'm empty on the inside and I'm looking for something to fill that emptiness. And we see it all around us. You know, it's, there, there are all kinds of ways that people dedicate themselves to causes and, and, and things these days. I, I happen to think, well, I do think we should take good care of the environment. I think a lot of environmentalists have taken environmentalism on as their religion because they don't have a God, because they're trying to fill that emptiness within them. People fill that emptiness with with activity, you know, the the party mentality and culture. They fill that activity with drugs, and uh, that, that emptiness with drugs and alcohol. They fill that emptiness with people and with family, you know, sometimes really good things. But there is only one way to fill that emptiness in a way that will last, and that is to realize that that emptiness is caused by God. And that emptiness is there in order to prompt us Who want to come to God and fill that emptiness with the only thing that's going to fill it. St. Augustine was famously quoted as saying, within every man is a God-shaped hole in his life. And that's the only thing. It's like one of those tests that you give little kids, you know. You can't fit anything else into this spot except Jesus Christ. And that's because God sent him. It's what we're celebrating this morning at the communion table. God sent him to fill that void. He came to earth as a baby, grew up, lived that perfect life, died for our sins because he didn't have any sins. He didn't owe the wages of sin, which is death, but he died nevertheless because he died on our behalf. And he offers that opportunity for life to every one of us. He offers the opportunity for fulfillment, for peace, for happiness. And what do we have to do to get it? We call it the ABCs. Number one, you have to admit that you have sinned against God, that you have broken His law, that you are separated from Him, that you're empty on the inside. You have to admit that to yourself and to God. And then secondly, after the A, the B stands for believe that Jesus Christ is the only acceptable sacrifice. He is the only one who could die in our place, who had the ability to do it and had the the gumption to do it. He did it. And we need to believe that, that he died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And finally, the C, most importantly, you have to make that choice. It doesn't just fall upon you. There's not a... I know that it's popular today to teach that, that God's love is universal and there's nothing we have to do. And in the end, everybody's going to heaven. It's, that's a great sentiment. It's just not biblical. It's not in the Bible. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. And this morning, certainly as we come to this table, that is something you're going to want to take care of because this table is all about remembering that important moment in your own life. And guys, you've got your life, and I'm sure you know, 90, 90% of us or more in this room can, can make the point that your life will never be the same once you've done this. And you'll be on the road to becoming the wise people that we're seeing and that we're talking about this morning. For many of us, though, we've already made that commitment. We've already taken that step. And it's important for the rest of us to continue to seek Him, to know Him every day, to learn from His Word. That's a major reason why we exist as a church. We are the body of Christ. And we come, when we come together for communion, it's not just communion vertically between us and God no it's obvious when you read the passages in Corinthians about communion it's also just as much communion horizontally with each other we are the body of Christ and if you're out of sorts with the body of Christ you are sinning against the body and the blood of Christ that's us that's the church and we are here to commune as much with each other as we are with God And as part of the church, there's opportunities. One of our responsibilities as a church is to give you opportunities to know God in a greater way, to grow in your walk with Him. And so we have life groups, which we have questions on the back of your note sheets that we'll be using this week. We have men's studies and women's studies and men's retreats and and senior breakfasts and all of those things. Those are all there so that we can more effectively be that body of Christ that communes together and and demonstrates to the world that what we're saying is true by virtue of our relationships with each other. That's why the early church in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to two things, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And I know some of you are saying, no, wait, there's four there. No, the the next two modify fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. That's That's what fellowship consisted of, breaking of bread and prayer and doing things together. They were co-equal. They were just as important. They were just as devoted to the Word of God as they were to each other. Why? Because that's what speaks to the world. When they see this group of people, and let me tell you, in some ways, we're not all that special, especially to people in the world. They look at us and they go, who do you think you are? You know? But when they see us getting along, they're saying, wait a minute, how does that guy get along with that guy? And how does that person get along? And, and that's what the, the ministry, that's part of the ministry TO THE WORLD AROUND US. JESUS SAID IT'S BY THE the LOVE WE HAVE FOR ONE ANOTHER THAT PEOPLE ARE GOING TO BELIEVE HIS TESTIMONY. So that's the first thing. Wise people still seek him. And I pray this morning, if you're seeking him for the first time, don't go another moment without confessing who Jesus is and asking him to be your savior. And if you're hopefully seeking him as a believer to grow more and more, I often ask myself just to kind of test myself. Scripture says we're supposed to do that. Test yourselves. And I often ask myself, what more do I know? How has God... um, what has God taught me about himself that I didn't know a year ago? And sometimes that's a challenge. Sometimes I have to say, gosh, what have I been doing? Especially through the pandemic and stuff. I mean, there were times when I thought, am I just treading water here? I got to get off the ball. I, that, I mean, it's not like I know it all or anything. I got I to realize I got to grow in my walk with him. So wise people still seek him no matter where you are. Secondly, wise people still worship him. These men what we see here, have come with one purpose in mind. And that purpose is to worship, as they said, the one who is born, the king of the Jews. They came to worship the Son of God. And we see here that they came Uh, obviously it looks to me like they have a huge amount of confidence and hope we see that in the questions they ask look at this language in verse 2 where is he who has been born king of the Jews for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him it wasn't like they were just out for a leisurely two year ride in the desert and they just happened to show up in Jerusalem and say you know we heard something going on in this area and we saw some bright lights in the sky and we thought maybe you guys might know something about no there was none of that they were intentional they were definite they were certain where is he that we have come to worship him it was also we see here talk about commitment and this is what the bible usually says about finances is that it really demonstrates your commitment they made a financial commitment they brought with them gifts and for us, those are just words, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Maybe the gold part, you know, we understand that's, that's expensive. But let me tell you guys, these were all very expensive gifts. Gifts fit for a king. And they were actually normal gifts for a king. It wasn't unusual to bring these kinds of things. The gold is a, and, and there, people have also found symbolic uh, references in these gifts, the gold would have been fit for a king, and it would have been f- uh, focusing on jesus 's right as a king that we saw a couple of weeks ago in the in the genealogy. The frankincense was a, a spice or a, a, an incense, often it 's just called incense, and that would be something that the priests would use, so it speaks to christ 's priestly duties and then myrrh was a an ointment or a, 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 a An element that they would use in the embalming process. And so that speaks to the death of Jesus Christ. Obviously vastly important that we're remembering this morning. I I don't know whether or not the wise men appreciated the significance of their gifts. But we do know that these were normal gifts to give for a king. And we know, again, that they did, didn't just wander out and find any old ba- baby and decide, okay, I got I to gotta get, get to a mall and find some kind of gift, you know. Uh, it's, it's like, uh, you know, when you, you have a, a birthday come up. My daughter's birthday is today. Well, I can guarantee you I'm not going to run off to, to uh, 7-Eleven and buy her a, a Slim Jim because I know, you know, this is really important for her. <laughs> you know, they put time. They put effort. They put finances into these gifts, because they knew they were going to worship a king. I ask again, are you a wise man or woman in terms of these characteristics? Are you spending time worshiping him? And I'm not talking about necessarily just what we're doing here this morning. It's not just about attending a worship service. The fact is, and I think anybody that's mature knows this, you can attend church and still not worship. It's particularly difficult for those of us that are serving. I speak of the, the worship team or, or those who are teaching or, or those of us on staff. It's difficult sometimes. I have to work at really worshiping because I got all kinds of stuff. You know, I got to make sure this is okay. I got to make sure something wrong You know, that all these machinations. Am I really worshiping? We, but even more importantly, when we talk about worship, and I, I share this in the discovery class in the uh, step-up class. And that is that worship is not just a song or a service. Worship, guys, is everything we do. It's our lives. And Paul makes that clear in Romans 12 when he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your, say this with me, spiritual service of worship. And how does that then work out? Look what he says. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hopefully, that's what we're doing today. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what worship is. Worship is everything we do. That's why one of our, uh, one of our goals here is that people would live a lifestyle of worship where we are constantly thinking. There's, there, there's no dualism in, in, in our theology. There's no, you know, well, this is my religious life and, and this is my secular life, quite often like many politicians. Well, I can support things that are unbiblical because that's what I do in church. But as far as how I govern or how I, uh, you know, make, make decisions, well, that's the real world. I've actually had guys say that to me. Oh, wait a minute. That, I, I catch them on that. You mean, what do you mean that's the real world? As if this is not the real world? this is not reality to you, I I hope they're struggling with it. And like these wise men, as we see, worship involves giving gifts to our God. And I wonder, ask yourself, how am I doing in my worship? Am I taking time to praise Him? Am I taking time to confess my sins to Him? Am I taking time to study and to grow? Am I giving uh, generously? Am I even giving extravagantly to God's work? Because giving is a part of worship. And am I I giving gifts that are worthy of a king? Am I giving gifts that are sacrificial? In faith, it says here, they gave these gifts to this baby. And in faith, guys, we give gifts, I pray, to our Lord. Wise people still seek him. Wise people still worship him. And one more, wise people still obey him. To obey or not. THE WISE MEN CAME TO WORSHIP, THEY STOPPED OFF IN JERUSALEM TO FIND OUT EXACTLY WHERE JESUS WOULD BE FOUND, AND THERE THEY MET, OF ALL PEOPLE, THE RUTHLESS KING HEROD THE GREAT. KING HEROD WAS A PIECE OF WORK. IF YOU WANTED A LITTLE BIT OF uh, EXTRA CREDIT WORK THIS WEEK, DO A LITTLE BIT OF A STUDY ON KING HEROD. He, HE WAS A SHORT GUY. And and someone commented to me one time, he had a Napoleonic complex. And I said, well, actually more likely since it was 1800 years before Napoleon, it's more like Napoleon had a Herod complex, okay? But this was a guy that was arguably insane. Uh, it was said that, uh, one thing I even read just this morning as I was doing some, some last minute cramming for the sermon, not like I needed more, but anyway. Uh, but but it, it, they had this thing that said that when Herod died, he wanted everybody to mourn for him. And because he was such a wicked and evil king, they, he realized they were probably not going to mourn for him. So he arrested, I think it was like uh, hundreds of these other people and put them in jail and ordered that upon his death, they be executed. And he said, if people won't mourn for me on my death, then I'll just, you know, they'll mourn for them and there will be mourning when I die. By the way, they didn't follow his order after he died. They just let the guys go. But that's the kind of guy he was. This guy, he, he, he must have been enraged by their question when they asked "Where?" in verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Here's a guy that, you know, is, is HOLDING ON TIGHTLY TO HIS POWER. FOR WE SAW HIS STAR IN THE EAST AND HAVE COME TO WORSHIP HIM. I CAN IMAGINE WHAT HEROD WOULD HAVE THOUGHT OF THAT. BORN KING OF THE JEWS? AS FAR AS HE KNEW, AS FAR AS HE EXPERIENCED, KINGS AREN'T BORN. HEROD HAD TO COMMIT MURDER, ACTS OF DECEIT, TREACHERY. HE KILLED HIS OWN CHILDREN AND WIFE IN ORDER TO ASSURE THAT HE WOULD STAY ON THE THRONE IN ORDER TO BECOME KING. AND WHO IN THE WORLD could be born a king. And why would he have a star? And why would these men want to worship a baby? The other thing about Herod is he didn't have a rightful right to the throne. And so, unlike we saw two weeks ago, his genealogy does not go back correctly. He was put in office, he was put in his position by the Romans. Not by something that, that came about because of what Scripture said, but because of what their oppressors said. So he had to be beside himself. But, you know, like I say, he's a deceitful guy. So he kept kept calm and he makes a deal, or at least he attempts to, with the Magi. And we see that in verse 8. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. But the wise men were told, here again it's that reckless love of God, he now speaks to these wise men in a dream, being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. And now... THE WISE MEN HAVE A CHOICE TO MAKE. ONE MORE OPPORTUNITY TO DEMONSTRATE WHETHER OR NOT THEY'RE GOING TO BE WISE. THEY COULD CHOOSE RIGHT NOW, AND and I KNOW WE MIGHT THINK, WELL, THAT'S AN EASY DECISION. I, I BEG TO DIFFER. THINK OF IT THIS WAY. THEIR CHOICE IS TO OBEY WHAT THEY KNOW ABOUT THIS TINY, LITTLE, HELPLESS BABY THAT'S BORN KING OF THE JEWS THAT SEEMINGLY CAN'T DO ANYTHING TO THEM. THERE'S REALLY NO VISIBLE CONSEQUENCES for, for uh, disobeying him or disobey this full-grown murderous insane king on the throne i mean after all if and think about it this way if they obeyed herod it could go pretty well for them i mean he might reward them greatly jesus on the other hand is just a baby from a poor family meek and lowly as we sing at christmas time and I, can't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing some of the rationalizations that we do. Uh, think about it. Maybe, maybe I could worship and obey Jesus later in my life. I, I could serve and obey Herod now, but then later on I'll obey Jesus and, and that way I can have the best of both worlds. I can, I can sort of have my cake and eat it too. I hope I'm not the only one that ever thinks like that. That there are times when I'll just do this now, but then, you know, how about this one? Uh, I'm sure we've all done this. I'll do this now, and then later I'll ask God to forgive me, and I'll go on with that, because my God is a gracious God, and He'll. It doesn't work that way, guys. <laughs> I mean, we, if, if we're going to follow Him, we need to follow Him. Now, he will forgive you, but that's, that's not a license to sin. The apostle Paul said it himself. Should we sin more so that grace may abound? I got so much grace in my life because I'm such a terrible sinner, and I'll make sure of that. No, no, that's not, that's not maturity. That's not the growth that we're seeing here. And they went instead, and we know, they went and they worshiped this baby. And then, verse 12, after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way when they understood that what God wanted them to do. And again, I just, it kind of blows my mind, and I think it's what Matthew is really getting at here. These are the kind of people that God is going to talk to. He's going to talk to these pagans. He's going to talk to these guys that, if you want to follow the letter of the law, we should stone them to death. And although they were a bit puzzled, They were faithful to obey obey him regardless of the danger that was inherent in disobeying this murderous king. And again, I have to ask, guys, are you wise? Because wise people still obey him. And are you this morning obeying him in whatever it is he's asking or calling you to do? Chances are it's not going to be dangerous like these wise men, although it could be. There are, in fact, more Christians dying for their faith as we speak right now than there have been throughout all of history. So it is a dangerous thing to be a Christian in most of the world. And some of us see uh, our country even leaning towards that direction. It's not impossible. So it could be dangerous, but let's be honest, probably not for most of the decisions we have to make. It might just be a difficult decision. It, or even more than that, it might just be an uncomfortable decision. Uncomfortable in that, what are people going to say? How am I going to look? What is it going to cost me? Well, you know, I, 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 anyway, fill in the blanks for yourself. I, I love a quote. There's a quote that's one of my favorites by G.K. Chesterton. And here's what it says. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, RATHER, IT HAS BEEN FOUND DIFFICULT AND LEFT UNTRIED. AND I'VE EXPERIENCED THAT FIRSTHAND. I'VE SHARED CHRIST WITH PEOPLE, AND I'M ONE THAT WHEN I SHARE CHRIST WITH SOMEBODY, I DON'T SAY, YES, PRAY THIS PRAYER, ASK JESUS TO BE YOUR SAVIOR, AND EVERYTHING IS GOING TO BE OKAY meaning I choose not to lie to them okay I say when you pray this prayer get ready because you're going to probably have more battles in your life it's probably going to get worse for you in the sense of this world but trust me it'll be okay you'll get through it and I've had people say well you know weighing all of that maybe I want to think about it some more I've actually had people that have, have discovered or have realized the Christian life is going to be difficult, and so I, you know, right now, I'd rather not. I'll wait till I'm old, and I can't do anything else, and there's, you know, I'm so old, there's no fun in my life anymore. Then I'll become a Christian, and I'll start, you know, and I, yeah, anyway, obviously, I don't know your particular situation, but I do know that serving God always involves serving others and I pray that you are asking God who are the people in your world who are the people, the the co-workers, the neighbors, the friends the, the, the schoolmates, whoever it is, the people in your life those are the people that God has called you to and as we have these available at the doors on your way out I encourage you to grab one of these, follow the instructions begin praying for opportunities to impact the lives of the people in your world and see what God will do THERE ARE NO LACKS OF OPPORTUNITIES TO SERVE OTHER PEOPLE, PARTICULARLY AS WE'RE COMING INTO THE HOLIDAY SEASON WHEN PEOPLE ARE JUST A LITTLE BIT MORE OPEN TO EVEN SPIRITUAL THINGS. But if we open our eyes, there are needs all around you in your world and among the people in your world. Just keep your eyes open. I had a text a few years ago from some members of our church and, it, and I've kept it all these years because it just blesses me to see what they wrote me. They said, Pastor Willie, we prayed for two on our street this week. So many hurting. Do we have to be reaching out? I love the honesty here. We know that's what God wants us to do, but man, it's heavy stuff. And then they finished with this. Yikes, it's almost becoming more in our comfort zone. <laughs> it's almost becoming a habit. Those are the kind of notes. If you want to write me notes like that, that really blesses your pastor's heart. Anyone on staff, anybody in the church, frankly. We we love hearing those kind of things. And so this morning we've seen that these magi really were wise men. And today, I hope you've seen that wise men and women will still seek Him. Wise men and women will still worship Him. Wise people will still obey Him. What about you today? As I think about this passage, some questions from my own life come to mind as I think about some takeaways from this passage. The first one for me is this. Where am I really looking for satisfaction in my life? What is it that I am sold out to? What is it that is important to me in my life? Secondly, what, are my action, what do my actions say that I worship? You know, we can talk a, and a, good, a good game, but what are the things that I do telling the people around me? There's that old line, you know, your, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear your words. You know, are we demonstrating what we say we believe? Or as my youth pastor used to say, I, and I ask myself this, if, if being a Christian were against the law, as it is in many parts of the world today, if being a Christian were against the law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would people look at you and say, okay, you're going to jail? Okay? And thirdly, am I willing to obey even if it's difficult? Is that a secondary question in my life? First, Lord, the first order of business is I'm going to obey you. The second order of business is dealing with whatever comes from that. Whatever the consequences are, you know, so be it. But I'm going to obey you. That's what we see here this morning. And as we come to this communion table this morning, we see a picture of Jesus' answer to these questions. He came to serve God And to do the will of his father. The elders can come on up and begin breaking up the bread. He came to serve God, his father, and do his will. That's what he said. It was his purpose in this life. And he didn't just say it. I mean, that's the essence of what we're at about this this table. He's demonstrating it. He gave his life. Any one of us can say, you know, I love you. But man, Jesus said it in a way that just blows all other demonstrations of love out of the water. And finally, it wasn't easy. It was, it was more difficult, doesn't seem to be a strong enough word to talk about what Jesus went through to demonstrate and to, to picture His love to us. And that's what we're remembering at this table this morning. And I want us to, as the Apostle Paul says, to come to this table in a worthy manner. And we've talked about it already that in the book of 1 Corinthians, when the apostle Paul talks about it, he says that, you know, I have heard that there, you know, there are battles and there are issues between you. Okay? And remember, communion is not just about a horizontal or a vertical communion between us and God. It's about as much about a horizontal communion between each other. We are the body of Christ. He wants us communing together. And part of coming to this table in a worthy manner is to make sure that my relationships are good with the members of the body of Christ and relationships are good with others. And make sure that my walk with Christ is good. And make sure, I even go as far as to say, make sure that you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord because this is a memorial. It's a memory of what Christ has personally done in your life. That's why we are doing it. If you come up here and you've never taken that step that we talked about, of asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then you're kind of making a mockery of the table. You're you're demonstrating something that isn't true in your life. And the Apostle Paul says, if you come to this table in an unworthy manner for any of the reasons we've talked about, then you risk being sick, and some, he said, have even died. It's a serious thing we're doing here. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray in a moment. And then I'm going to stop praying and give you an opportunity to do something that I do every Sunday and most every day of the week. And that is, as King David said, Lord, search my heart and show me if there is any wickedness within me. And I guarantee you that most of the time, I think I'm just doing a perfunctory thing. Okay, Lord, search my heart and show me. And I'm thinking, there's a part of me thinking, there isn't anything, but go ahead, Lord, and I guarantee you, when I think that, there is something. <laughs> and it comes up. And sometimes it's just as, as little. I mean, there is really no uh, amount of, you know, gauges on sin other than, you know, certain sins will have a, a worse impact. But in terms of sin, sin is sin. And, and you know, it's usually an attitude I've had or something I said to somebody. And it's those kinds of things that one of the purposes of this table is to kind of reset you know, our relationship with God, come back to the place where I am right with Him and I'm ready to go out once again into this world and, and do battle for the Lord. And so I'm gonna pray. I'll open us in prayer. I'll pause for a, a few minutes and, and uh, we'll, we'll have some light music going from the piano. And then after I say amen, we're gonna sing a song. And at that time, Uh, the elders will be taking the elements to the four tables you see in the corners. I'll have one up here as well. And when you're ready, just get up from where you are, go to one of those stations and get your, uh, your, your communion elements and take them back to your seat. And then we'll continue with the communion service after that. Let's pray together right now. Father, as King David said, Lord, would you search my heart, search our hearts, and show us, Lord, if there is any wickedness there, that we might come to this table as you say in a worthy manner. I thank you, Father, for the for the confidence, for the encouragement you give us in First John one nine. That as you show me those things that are uh, that, that go against you, that Lord, all I have to do is to confess that, to agree with you. Yes, Lord, you're right. I, I shouldn't be doing that, and ask your forgiveness. And on the authority of 1 John 1, 9, recognize that you will forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And at that point, I become worthy to participate in communion this morning. Lord, would you do that work in our hearts and minds right now? Getting forgiveness seems to be such a simple thing. I just ask for it and you give it to me. And Father, as I was thinking of that in that quietness, you convicted me of that. Willie, this very table is a picture of what that supposedly simple forgiveness cost. And Lord, may I not forget the price that my sin caused your son to have to pay. Nevertheless, Lord, I am thankful, and I I pray that I speak for every one of us here. We are thankful for the forgiveness you have given us in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the reminders we get this morning as we participate in this table. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you once again for this reminder, this memorial that we have of just what you did for us. And Lord, may we never, ever take it for granted. It's so easy to do. Yet, Father, burn it into our our minds of the great price our sin cost your son. And Lord, we thank you as we remember how he willingly paid that price in his body and in his blood. We thank you for this remembrance today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. As you eat of this, remember me. Scripture tells us that Jesus took the cup and he blessed it. And he said to his disciples, This is my blood of the covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. But then he also had this great line where he says, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So we're not only looking back and remembering what he did, But in this, we are looking forward and anticipating what is coming. Amen? Amen. Let's do this in remembrance and anticipation. Scripture tells us that after that last supper, that first last supper, I guess, uh, they sang a hymn and they went out. We're going to sing a song. And we're going to go out. And one thing, as always, I'd like to remind you is that we have an ongoing offering that we do, particularly during communion times when we're together as a family. And we call it our brotherhood offering. And it's a special offering that we uh, use to help people in very tangible ways, particularly in the body, but even sometimes outside of the body, like family members, things like that. Uh, And as God has blessed you, feel free to give. You can give like you do in the other ways Uh, in the boxes or online. Just make sure you designate it so we know where the funds go. Let's stand together and let's worship Him as we go from here.